0: It is so good to be here with you wherever you are joining us. If you're joining us somewhere around the country in another state, maybe Florida, maybe Arizona, maybe California, maybe New York. I know my mom likes to watch. Hi, Mom. How are you out in New York? We want to welcome you. If you're joining us at home today on our online campus, we welcome you at one of our campuses, Garfield Park, Banta, Franklin, or Greenwood. Let's give it up for all of our (laughs) first-time attenders. And all of you regular attenders, welcome back. We are starting a brand new series today called The Art of Living. You know, I truly believe that uh, that life is like art. I really do. I'm gonna explain what I mean here in just a second, but I remember growing up, watching a guy named Bob Ross. Anybody else? I'm kind of dating myself a little bit. Bob, some of you Bob fans. If you don't know who Bob is, you can kind of Google it, YouTube it. I love Bob's hair, first of all, really cool hair. But beyond that, he would, he would literally, it was about a 30-minute show, and he would start with a blank canvas, and he would take out all this paint and all this, you know, tools, his, his brushes and his little knives and scalpels or whatever they were. And, and 30 minutes later, he would have this unbelievable work of art with like Mount and trees and sometimes there'd be a lake and sometimes a little river and it was unbelievable to watch it happen in 30 minutes time as a little kid I remember how much skill do you have to have to paint something like that in 30 minutes anybody else wonder that I love Bob the way Bob would use the tools too. remember he would smack the brush against the thing to dry it off that was always so cool to me and then he would like take his scalpel and his knife and he would like make the the lake kind of like shine or have some sheen on it like how did he do that you know and and then and would notice like there was a little tree over here that was kind of lonely. Remember the lonely trees? And he'd say, oh, he would need a friend. So let's give him a little friend. Do, 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 you know, and 30 seconds later, there's another tree there. It's like, how did he do that? You know, it's like so amazing. Here's what I noticed about great art. And it's not just painting. It's sculpture. It's photography. It's dance. It's the one time my wife and I went to this, this Cirque du Soleil or whatever you call it. And, and it was the, it was the people tumbling and dancing and jumping and Uh, doing cartwheels and all kinds of crazy stuff. Something about art that always captures me is the skill. The skill that is required behind the art. It blows me away, whether it's someone up here on the stage singing, it's like, because I can't do any of that stuff. Maybe that's why it's so fascinating to me. I can't sing, I can't paint, I can't dance, just ask my family. I mean, it's just nothing that I, I'm not very artistic, and so it just blows me away when I see people paint something beautiful or sculpt something beautiful, beautiful or take an amazing photo, it blows me away. Great art requires great skill. Do you agree with this? Now, here's what's interesting, here's what's interesting. I think that life is like art. I really do. I see some people living amazing lives and I look at their, their, their marriage and I'm like, wow. And I look at how they're running their, their, their career and their business. Like, It's amazing. I look at how their kids turned out or how they're raising their kids, whoa. And I think it's because there is great skill in living in the same way that there's great skill behind great art. This series, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about what those skills are. What are the skills behind painting a great life or creating or sculpting a beautiful life? I want to talk to you in this series about about the skill of words, using words. I want to talk about the skill of managing anger. (laughs) Because if you don't manage anger well, your painting might not turn out so well. Do you agree with this? I want to talk in this series about managing your sexuality. Because when you don't get that right, oh boy, all kinds of problems can arise in your life. And you end up painting something that doesn't look so nice. I want to talk to you about the skill in this series of enduring under pressure because life is filled with pressure and difficulty. And if we don't learn these types of skills, we are, we are not going to pay, end up painting something that is beautiful that people want to look at. You know, you've probably heard of the show, um, Nailed It. It's where this professional baker bakes some sort of cake and then uh, there's, there's a challenge between uh, people that have never baked before or don't have the skills in baking. This isn't from the show, but this, this kind of, these two photos are kind of I give you a picture of what that show's all about. This is a photo of Olaf. This is actually a cake. Somebody made this cake. Very skilled, do you agree? When I saw that, I was like, wow, how is that even a cake? How did somebody do that? I don't know. I don't have that skill. And and, and when you don't have skill to make cakes like this, and then you try to make a cake, here's what yours and mine might end up looking like. This is an actual (laughs) attempt. So this just shows you like, this is skillful living, this is non-skillful living. So this is really what this whole series is about. I don't want your life to end up looking like this. I want it to look like this. Does that make sense? Everybody like, yes, yes, is that okay? Yes, all right, that's where we're gonna go. We're gonna go. Skill, skillful living. You know, I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful that we have an entire book of the Bible called Proverbs dedicated to learning how to live a skillful life, to creating a beautiful life, painting, sculpting, something that is absolutely wonderful. The book of Proverbs is written by a guy named Solomon and he actually wrote it for his son so that his son can have the skills of living a successful life. What is a successful life? It's a, it's a big question today. In America, what is a, su- a successful life? And In America, we would probably say a successful life is a life where you have lots of stuff, lots of money. Maybe you're important. Maybe your name is known. Maybe you're famous. You can come and go as you please. You, have, you can buy whatever you want to buy, clothes, shoes. You can eat at any restaurant you want to eat at, wherever you want. Success is kind of like money and fame and fortune and that kind of stuff in America. But what is a successful life biblically? I want to give you a definition in the Bible really quick, and we'll look at some scriptures that support this. Here's what it means in the Bible to be successful. A successful life is one that experiences God's best in every area of your life. This is what it looks like to paint or sculpt a beautiful life. God has intentions for you. God has something in mind for your relationships. If you're married, he has a concept or an intention or a plan for your marriage. If you are handling money, which we all are handling money, at some level, he has a plan for your financial life. He has a plan for your career, the job that you, it's very important to him, the type of job that you have. He has a plan for your emotions, your, the things that you feel inside, things like fear and worry and anxiety or joy and peace. He has intentions for your emotions. He has intentions for your, he has intentions for your parenting. Those of you who are parenting children. And success is really to achieve his intentions in all the different areas of your life. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have lots of money and lots of stuff to buy, you know, ability to buy stuff. That may come with the package for you. God may have that in plan for you, but that's not necessarily what a successful life looks like. It looks like you reach God's intention or God's best for your life in every area of your life. And this makes complete sense. For parents, like my wife and I, we have three teenagers, and all we want for our kids is to to achieve God's best in their life, in their relationships, with their college education, with the, the person that they end up marrying. We just want them to reach their full potential. And guess what? God feels the same way about you. He is our father. We just got done singing praise the father, right? He's our dad. He wants what is best for you and I. So a successful life or a a life that is painted well or sculpted well into something beautiful is a life where you are achieving God's best in your life. Listen to Proverbs chapter 1 verse 3. This is what Solomon says, writing to his son. The purpose of these Proverbs, there's 31 Proverbs, the purpose of these Proverbs is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, what is just, And what is fair? He could have wrote it like this. The purpose of these Proverbs is to help you paint, sculpt, create a beautiful life. That's what their purpose is, and so over the next couple of weeks, we're just going to look at some of these principles, some of these skills that we need to learn in order to create that life. Does that sound fun? I get pumped about this stuff, because I like when the Bible teaches us how to live. So here's what we're going to do. Principle number one, or skill number one, if we want to talk about it that way, is the fear of the Lord. This, is, this, is, this, this principle, this skill is found all the way through the Bible, from Genesis all the way into the New Testament, but in Proverbs in particular, Solomon lands on this skill, and he says it's... It's the foundational skill it's it's the first skill that you need to learn to build or create a beautiful life proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 this is what solomon says fear the lord son come on father fatherly advice here fear the lord why because it's the foundation of knowledge not information about the world science and astronomy and stuff like that not that kind of knowledge knowledge of how things work Knowledge of how your emotions work, knowledge of how to handle your words or control your anger, knowledge about how sexuality works, what's good and what's right, knowledge about how life works. Another word in the scriptures that is used synonymously with knowledge, specifically in Proverbs, is the word wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, Solomon says it like this: the foundation of wisdom is the fear, or the fear of the Lord creates wisdom in your life. Solomon's saying, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Son, he's saying, if you want to have an understanding of how life works, you have to fear the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is not a popular topic for sermons or pastors to preach or even churches to talk about because it's a little bit of an odd statement. Like, am I supposed to be afraid of God? Are you supposed to be like afraid of God? Is he going to smash you if you, your life, if you mess up? That's not what we're talking about here. If we're not talking about being afraid of God, what does the fear of the Lord actually mean? Well, in the the scriptures, it teaches it like this. This is the definition of what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is a, a deep respect and honor for God that leads you and I to do the things that God would want. To do things God's way. It's a deep awe and respect of who God is. And in spite, of, and, and, and in relation to that, not in spite, but in connection to that or in view of that respect and honor, we just do things his way. Let me give you an example. I don't know what, who your, your idol is or who the person you is that, that, that you respect the most in this life. Like if Billy Graham would, still, would, would be alive, he would be, he would be my guy. Uh, but imagine having that person over your house for dinner. Like right now, the person who's alive, I probably admire the most is Michael Jordan, you know, not necessarily uh, because of uh, things that he's accomplished uh, off the court, but things that he's done on the court because he's the GOAT, okay, but I just had to slip that in there. Anyway, so the GOAT comes over to my house, right, greatest of all time, those of you like, what's a GOAT? Okay, anyway, anyway, uh, LeBron who, okay, whatever, okay, 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 so, 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 we're, so Mike's coming over, Mike's coming over, we're on a first name basis, and, and here's the thing, How, what does that evening look like? Jackie and I are having dinner right? we're gonna, He's going to come into the house. What's that? What, what are we doing? What are we thinking? Well, we're thinking about everything. How does the house smell? How does it look? What does he like to eat? You know, what are we going to talk about? What, what are we going to do with the kids? Are we going to make them leave? Are they going to stay? Like, wh- like who's going to... Like, wh- every single detail we would plan out. Why? Because we were thinking through the lens of what would make him feel respected and honored. How would... How can we make it so that he has a great time? What does he want to do? Does he want to smoke a cigar before dinner, after dinner, during dinner? Mike likes cigars if he didn't know that. Anyway, so, so we're thinking through like all these different things. Why? Because of the deep respect and honor that we would have for him. Listen, this is the way it works with God. But God is so much greater. Jesus is so much greater than Michael Jordan. Doesn't, he doesn't even compare. But Jesus Here's what it means to fear, fear the Lord. Like, well, Jesus, what do you want? What makes you happy? What pleases you? What makes you comfortable? What would make you uncomfortable? Because that's what I just want to, I, I, I so deeply respect you and honor you. I'm going to live my life in such a way that, that, that makes you smile. Listen to how Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. This is, this says not, he doesn't use the phrase fear the Lord, but this is what it means. Watch this. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Like if this is all you did, you would fear the Lord for the rest of your life. You wake up in the morning, first thing you do, what pleases you, Lord? Like wh- wh- what do you want me to do? How do you want me to start this day? How do you want me to prepare for this meeting? How do you want me to handle this situation? Like what do you want me to eat? What do you want me to wear? Like what in every single aspect of my life, whether it's finances or relationships or my marriage or my parenting, what would please you? That's what it means to fear the Lord. Now, this is a, this is a very uncomfortable idea because that means you have to invite Jesus into all, all areas of your life. And we don't like Jesus in all areas of our life, right? right? I mean, I know some of us are not Christ followers yet. Our hope is that you would become one if you're tuning in today, watching. But for those of us who are Christ followers, like this, this bothers me. Here's why. Because now I have to ask Jesus... What would please you when I approach a roundabout? (laughs) No, 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 this is real. Like, if we're talking about, like, real life, like, 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 not just preaching ideas about, you know, whatever, you know, big floaty ideas, like, really, like, how does the Bible and life intersect? And Jesus would say, yes, I want you to ask me about how to approach a roundabout. So I did this week, okay, for the first time ever. Because I, I, I try to practice what I preach, you know, so I'm pulling up and like, okay, roundabouts, you know, and typically if you don't know, you know, they usually, uh, someone usually just, just messes it up, not me, not me, and they, and, they, and they either speed up and they fly through the roundabout, which is a no-no because there's a big yield sign there, it's a triangle, have you ever seen it, anybody, okay which means you slow down. Anyway, so, or, or, or people just come to a stop, which is not a stop sign. Stop signs are, they're red, and you can really see them. So just help, I'm just trying to help a brother or sister out here, right? So, so someone else usually messes it up, and for some reason, I have no idea why, that's the thing that triggers my anger. It does, I don't know why, it's, a, it's a, such a silly thing. Um, so I get mad, and then the last time I, uh, I got mad, I actually pulled in front of a guy because he decided to hit the gas. I was like, you're not doing that. You're not doing that. I was here first. So I pulled out in front of him and he flipped me off. And I'm the pastor of Emmanuel, you know? So I started asking the Lord, you know, because this is what it means to fear the Lord, to carefully determine what pleases the Lord in every aspect of your life. And here's what he said to me. You know, just, just, he said, hey, uh, where, where, where are you going, Danny, that you, have to, that you have to be in such a rush? I mean, I have places to go, Lord, you know. I have to go. I can't be late. I got to, you know, okay. And then he said this to me. And it wasn't an audible voice because I don't, I don't necessarily hear the audible voice of God. But I feel like he, he whispers to me. And, and I heard him say, uh, you are o- overvaluing your importance. I was like, wow, dang, that's tough. <laughs> you, he said, you can, you can stop, you can slow down, and you can relax. If you want to know what it looks like to go through a roundabout in a way that pleases me, show some grace to the people that don't know how to go through a roundabout. Really? That's a lot to ask. So, so no, not, no lie. You, you you be proud of your pastor. This is one of the moments where you can be proud of. I actually, I actually went through a roundabout this week and I was doing this right here. And I was thinking about it and I was trying to fear the Lord and, and, and somebody sure enough screwed it up. And I, 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 nothing, nothing. I was like, I slowed down and go ahead. You yeah. know. Now, I mean, okay, don't clap because we'll see what happens today or tomorrow. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to screw it up. And then, I, and then I heard the Lord say, put the E on the back of your car. Put the E. Just put it on there. Just, just as a reminder, like, you know, so that if you ever are tempted to, to, to cut someone off, or just they'll see the E on the back as you cut them off. And, and hopefully, so I did that. So anyway, um, you know, this is, what, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like, this changes the way you live and the way you drive and the way you speak to your spouse when you say, God, I wanna carefully determine what pleases you. Let me give you two specific things that this does for you to help you paint or sculpt a beautiful life because that's what we're talking about. We're artists. You say, well, I'm not an artist. Well, Well, you can step out of singing and dancing and painting, but you can't step out of life. You're gonna live. You're gonna produce something let's produce something beautiful, right? So here's how it works. How does the fear of Lord help us to paint, sculpt a beautiful life? Number one, it helps us to avoid evil. It's a simple idea. It's not deep. When you fear God, you just, you stay away from the wrong things. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6, this is what King Solomon tells his son. By fearing the Lord, son, people avoid evil. How? Well, when you're trying to carefully determine what pleases God, and you're working through different scenarios and, uh, of what you should do or shouldn't do, the Lord is going to tell you, well, it doesn't please me to go to, to, to slander that person or to steal that or to manipulate or to cheat on your spouse or to get on that website. It, it doesn't. If you're asking, I'm going to tell you that doesn't please me, and then you're fearing God, so you're like, well, I won't do that then. I won't do that. I won't get involved in that. So when you fear the Lord, you actually end up avoiding the wrong things in this world. And there are lots of wrong things in this world. Do you agree? There's lying. There's cheating. There's pe- people hurt each other. They harm each other. They get on Facebook and they slander each other. And you, 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 just, uh, you just avoid all of that. The only time I will ever get on social media, and you can check me on this, check me on this, is to say something positive. That's it. I never, ever, ever, I'm not saying I'm the greatest, so please hear me say that. I screw up in many, many ways. But when it comes to social media, it's like, all I'm going to do is encourage people. I'm not going to call people out. I'm not going to tell people why I think this and why I think that. and what this, you know, all this, and this shouldn't be this way. And this person's over here doing this. Nope. I'm just going to say, man, I hope you have an awesome day. I hope you, I hope you're blessed today. I hope, hey, think about this thought today. That's it. Because I don't want to get into any of that other stuff that's going on that we get pulled into because we're so angry. When you fear the Lord, you avoid all kinds of evil. Think think about right now the stuff that you have gotten involved in that you shouldn't have been involved in, whether it was a relationship or or a financial deal or something that was wrong and you knew it was wrong and you got involved, involved anyway and now there's all kinds of consequences. Oh, you could have avoided that. Because when you fear the Lord, you avoid evil. It's not a deep thought, but it works beautifully. It helps you to create a beautiful life. When you get involved in evil, it's like taking a paint can and throwing it on your canvas and it shh, screws the whole thing up. And there's brokenness and broken relationships and lack of trust. And maybe there's a sexually transmitted disease in there. And it's just like, you wreck your life. See, Joseph feared the Lord Joseph, if you remember the story, was sold by his brothers into slavery. Amazingly, he gets placed in a guy's house named Potiphar who's like this, you know, the second in command and underneath Pharaoh. He's the captain of, the, uh, of, of Pharaoh's guard, King Pharaoh in Egypt. Some of you know the story. I preached about it in the first weeks of COVID. Joseph's in Potiphar's house. He does such a good job. Potiphar promotes him to, and he says, you're in charge of my entire house, all the crops, all the staff, all the, uh, all the money. He, puts a, he promotes him all the way to the top and One day, Potiphar's wife takes a look at Joseph, and he's kind of cute. He's handsome. He's good looking. He's got some shoulders on him. (laughs) She's got an eye for Joseph. That's what the Bible says. And she starts to come on to him day after day after day, and she wants to sleep with him. And Joseph's like, he's in his prime, you know. I mean, he's definitely like an average guy that would, you know, take the opportunity, but he fears the Lord. One day, one day, Potiphar's wife comes on so strong, he finally has to confront her. Listen to what Joseph says to her in Genesis 39. No one has more authority in this house than I do. Your husband has held back nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. It's wrong for me to sleep with you. Come on. And then he tells her this. Watch this. How could I do such a wicked thing? How could I commit adultery with you? You're a married woman. It would be a great sin. Say it with me. Against God. You know what that is right here? That's Joseph. Carefully determining what pleases the Lord, what displeases the Lord. See, unfortunately, most of us, you know what, you know what kind of filter we use to, to determine whether or not we're going to do something wrong or right? Here's what we use to our shame. Am I going to get caught? Because if I'm going to get caught, I don't want to do it. But if I can get away with it, game on. See, Joseph was in charge of the house. He could have got away with this all day. There were 50 rooms in Potiphar's house. I'm making that up. It was a big house. He could have snuck into a different room. Nobody would have found out. But when you fear God, you're like, man, I can't. God would be displeased with me. And so you avoid all kinds of evil in your life by fearing God. You end up painting a better life. Number two, it's not just about avoiding evil, it's about being drawn into the good. When you fear God, when you are trying to carefully determine what pleases the Lord, when you have a deep respect and honor for him that causes you to want to do things his way, you are drawn into the good that he wants to do on this earth. How many of you believe that God wants to do good on this earth? I know it's hard to believe when you turn the news on and you see all kinds of crazy stuff going on, but God, the reason he has Jesus has not come back yet is because there is still good that he wants to do. That's why we're involved in Impact Week. We're saying, God, we want to bless our community. We want to be your hands and feet. We want to show people your love. God has good things that he wants to do, and he wants you to be caught up in them. And when you fear God, that's what happens. Watch Proverbs 14, verse 2. Those who follow the right path, those who are involved in doing good things, they fear the Lord. Why? Because they're trying to carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And what pleases the Lord is the good. Helping people, telling the truth, being honest, paying your bills, paying your taxes, right? Doing the right things. But those who take the wrong path despise Him. They want nothing to do with God. They don't care about what God thinks. They don't care about what pleases Him or what displeases Him. They just could care less. See, when you fear the Lord, you're drawn into the good because you're constantly asking, you're starting your day like, God, what good things do you want to do today? Who do you want to bless? Who do you want to help? What, 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 how can we bring some, some solutions? How can we bring some healing to the office? The office has got some tension. My marriage has some tension. How can you use me to, to, to bring some, some resolution and be involved in, in solving this or helping? That's what God wants to do. And so you, get, you end up being caught up in that. I love Psalm 23. It's one of my favorite passages. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. But watch verse three. He leads me in paths of righteousness. When the Lord is your shepherd, he's the leader of your life. He's leading you. You're starting your day with him. He's telling you what to do, and you're following him. Where? Into paths of righteousness. Righteousness. Truth-telling, honesty, kindness, gentleness, serving, being a blessing to your family first, then your community, right? You're following him in paths of righteousness. Why? For what purpose? Watch this. For his name's sake. What does that mean when the Bible talks about a name? Well, a name in the Bible, when it's brought up, it means character. Character. So, what David is saying here, King David is saying, is God, you lead me down the right path so that my life can give people a picture of who you are. That's what it means when he says, for your name's sake. So that they can watch what I do and how I lead this nation and get a picture of what you're actually like. Jesus would come along years and years and years later after David and say these words, let your lights so shine before men that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, the purpose of our righteousness or our good deeds or our right living is to give people a picture of who God is. I heard a preacher say many years ago, uh, I think it was St. Francis of Assisi, who was not a preacher, but he said these words. He said, always be preaching the gospel and when necessary, use words. Powerful statement. You don't always have to be preaching. Talk, 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 talk. Be living. Be kind. Be generous. Help. Walk down the right path, and your life will be your message. Your life will show people who God is. This, is. this is how we paint. Again, what are we talking about in this series? We're talking about painting, creating, sculpting a beautiful life. If, if you took the path of righteousness, not perfectly. Nobody's perfect. Nobody always does good and never sins. We learned that from Ecclesiastes. But if you took the right path As much as you possibly could, using grace when you mess up to get back on the right track. If you did that decade after decade after decade after decade, what would your life look like? What would they they say at your funeral? Who is who's gonna stand up and talk about you? And what are they gonna say about your life? This is what we have to think about. We're all painting something, we're all sculpting something, we're all creating something. The question is what are we creating? So how do we do this? How do we grow in the fear of the Lord? I'm gonna give you two ways because I'm, I'm assuming that you're on the edge of your seat and you're like, man, I wanna do this. I'm so hungry. Please teach me. Please show me. Are you there? Good. I'm just gonna presume and I'm gonna make believe you're there, okay? So here's where we're at. How do we do this? How do we grow in the fear of the Lord? Two ways. Number one, we're gonna become more aware of God's presence. We're going to intentionally try to become more aware of God's presence. When I read this book, and I hope you read it too, from the beginning to the end, God is trying to communicate to us that he wants to be with us. He is constantly saying this. He said it to Joshua when Joshua was getting ready to go into the promised land. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Isaiah the prophet says, I'm going to be with you. I'm with you. Jesus said, hey, make disciples of all nations and I'll be with you to the end of the age. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Cover to cover, that's, that's the message. If you are unaware of God's presence in your life or you, you feel like he's nowhere to be found, it's not God's fault, it's our fault. We are not aware of his presence. We get so caught up in the physical, all we can see the physical things. We cannot see the unseen. We struggle to see the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God. And so we have to work at it. We have to work at it. We have to become aware of God's presence. Why? Because if we are knowledgeable of God's presence in our life, it will change the way we go through roundabouts. I'm not kidding, it works. It'll change the way you talk to your spouse. It'll change the way that you manage your sexuality. It'll change everything in your life. If you're aware that God is with you, you will act differently, yes or no. In Proverbs chapter five, we're gonna talk about this in a whole talk. We're gonna talk about sexuality. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Cody kind of got us started on that last week and when his pivot talk and his whole honeymoon story, that was great, thanks Cody. Um, But sexuality is a big deal. And Solomon wanted his son to be pure sexually. So in Proverbs chapter 5, he takes an entire proverb to deal with this issue of sexuality to help his son be pure. In chapter 5 verse 21, listen to the motivation that he gives his son to stay sexually pure. Proverbs 5 verse 21. Son, for your, your ways, your paths, your choices, all of them are in full view of who? Of who? Of the Lord. He watches your whole life. He never takes his eyes off you, son. There's no such thing as a private moment. You think you're alone and you're not alone because God is with you, son. And not only is he, not only are, his, are your ways in full view, he's also examining them. He's looking, at the, uh, he's looking them over page by page. He's watching. He's pondering everything you do, everything you say, everybody you touch or don't touch. Son, when it comes to sexuality, remember the Lord is with you. That's motivating. How do we become aware of God's presence? There's so many ways, there's so many ways. For me, I start first thing in the morning with this book. When I read it, I feel his presence. I feel like he's speaking to me immediately. I'm drawn in and I, I just know that, that the Lord is my shepherd. I, I, it just works that way for me. I can read it 30 minutes and I'm, I sense him. Then I'll play some music and, and it'll, it'll, it'll even intensify. On the Emmanuel app, we always put the three songs that we're gonna do every worship session here. So I'll get on the Emmanuel app and I'll listen to the worship songs that we're gonna come here and sing. And again, I'm drawn into his presence. There's so many different ways you can become more aware of God's presence. You can go for a walk outside in nature. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. If you connect to God through nature, get outside and take a walk. Watch a sunset. Watch the birds. Connect. Sense his presence. If you connect with God through relationships, then get around those people that draw you in and the conversation begins to, to focus on who Christ is. and. I do that every other Friday with a group of men and we, we have a small group and we meet and, we, and, and when I'm with those guys, I sense God's presence. There's so many ways. You can put a ring on your finger to remind you. You can put a cross around your neck to remind you that God is with you. Listen, you can even get a tattoo. Yeah, you heard that. You heard me say that. You can get a tattoo. Uh, I don't personally have one yet because I don't have enough courage to get one, but I know some people that have, have Bible verses that re- and, and they're on their body to remind them that God is with them. There's so many different ways that you can become more aware of God's presence. When you know that he's with you, you'll begin to fear him. And when you fear him, you'll avoid the evil and you'll be drawn into the good. Secondly, the second way that we become, we grow in the fear of the Lord is to remember that our lives, our lives will be judged. You will give an account of your life. There's going to come a day when you will die and you will stand before God, and your life will be judged. King Solomon wrote it like this in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. He spends 12 chapters talking, philosophizing about life. This is his conclusion, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments, for this is everyone's duty. Why? Why is this the whole point of life? Listen to what he says. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing or everything that you thought was secret, because there's no such thing as a private moment, whether it's good or bad. Your life will have a judgment day. The author of Hebrews said it like this It is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. The apostle Paul took the same words from, from, Sol, from uh, Solomon and Ecclesiastes, and this is what he wrote in 2 Corinthians For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Every single one of us will stand before him and our life will be evaluated. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. The fear of the Lord helps us to avoid the evil and to be drawn into the good. Do you want, how do you want your judgment to go? You're gonna have one, I'm gonna have one. We're all going to stand before Christ. And what this does is it doesn't scare me. This is not intended to to make you afraid of God. This this idea, this concept of judgment is supposed to motivate us to be drawn into the fear of the Lord so that we would avoid the evil and be drawn up into the good. When I stand before God one day, and, and I will, and you will, I know God's going to go over the bad stuff I did, I, I know. And, and it's gonna be part of it. It's gonna be part of your judgment as well. But if I fear the Lord, I can minimize that. Such that most of my judgment, will be talking about the good things that we got caught up in together. Oh, remember we did this. Remember we launched that new campus. Remember all those people who came to Christ. Remember that series we did together. And remember Impact Week? we got all the church, 500-some people together, and we blessed the community. Remember, remember, remember all the good that we... And, and, and I envision in my uh, judgment that most of the conversation is about the good that we got caught up in together. Let's talk about the goodness in your marriage and how, how this happened and this happened, the goodness in your parenting and the, the choices that you made. And I can almost see Jesus start talking about the bad stuff. So, hey, can we start talking about the good stuff again? <laughs> Can we refocus? What about that one time? The choice is ours. How do you want your judgment to go? Here's what I would love to hear God say. And I think you would too. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I've evaluated your life. You were not perfect. We got to go over the whole thing. But well done, my good and faithful servant. If you want to hear those words from Jesus, I would urge you to choose to fear the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? It is a deep respect and honor for God that causes you to wanna do things his way. Here's what it looks like. You carefully determine in every aspect of your life, what would please the Lord, whether it's in your marriage or at a roundabout or at the office or how you talk to your boss or how you treat your employees if you're in authority, He wants to be involved in every aspect, and every aspect will be judged. So just ask that question. Lord, what what pleases you in this situation? You're gonna end up avoiding the evil, and you're gonna be drawn into the good. Now, as we wrap up today, Jesus called the life that he came to give you and I, abundant life. He actually said it like this in John chapter 10, verse 10. I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly more than you need in the sense of joy and peace and fulfillment and satisfaction and love and a sense of contentment, a purpose. I've come to give it to you. And if you trust me, you can experience that right now. In the midst of all the other kingdoms that are at play right now, you got the, the kingdom of the devil, you got the kingdom of man ruling and reigning, and they're clashing all the time. And it seems like the world is teeter-tottering on... on on catastrophe and, and existence. And in the midst of all of that, you can step into the kingdom of God and experience joy and peace. Christ died on a cross for you. He died for your sins 2,000 years ago to pay the price so that you can step into that kingdom, so that you could be forgiven, washed of your sin. And if you should choose to trust him by faith, you can step into that kingdom today. He loves you. He died for you. He, made, he did everything he could possibly do to make it, to make it available to you today. He said there's, there's no greater love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends. And then he did it. Would you receive that love today? Would you receive that forgiveness today? I'm gonna to pray a simple prayer of faith. Take these words, make them your own. Put your trust in God today. Step into the kingdom of God so you can begin to live the life that he has planned for you. Pray these words if you feel led. Dear Jesus, I trust you today. I step forward in faith. I believe you died for my sin. Died in my place. Paid the penalty for all my wrongs, all my sin, all the evil that I've done. I ask you to cleanse me today. Wash my soul. Make me a brand new person as I reach out to you in faith. From this day forward, teach me to fear you out of deep respect and honor for you to do the right thing, to do what pleases you, to carefully determine what would bring a smile to your face. I know then I will paint a beautiful life. I pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory today, church, amen? If you just prayed that prayer, if you just stepped into God's kingdom, we would love as a church to put a gift in your hand. We call it our saved box. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved, saved from their sins, saved from the penalty of sin, given a brand new life in Christ. Inside this box, there is a Bible, there is some information on how to get connected with our church. There's also a mug in here, a coffee mug, to say congratulations on your decision. If you would text the word SAVED to 65248, we will put one of these in the mail to you to get you started on your new journey with Christ. Can we give God glory one more time, amen? Come on, nice and loud. Make the choice today to fear the Lord. Become more aware of his presence. Remember that one day you will give an account of your life to him and watch how your life changes. Watch how you begin to make better decisions by avoiding the evil and being drawn into the good. Will you pray with me and then we'll hand things off to our local teams. Father, thank you so much for the wisdom that you gave us through Solomon, through the book of Proverbs, to show us what a successful life looks like to show us how to sculpt, create, paint a beautiful life, one that honors you, one that brings glory to your name. Help us to fear you today, to grow in the fear of the Lord. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. God bless you guys. See you next week. I'm gonna hand things off to the local teams now. God bless.